1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Dave Onestead hanging out with Mully and Ha on 670 The Score.
2: Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Coach Wanstead back with us on The Score Hotline, powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. So we've got some breaking news, Dave. Luke Getze getting an interview in Oakland. So he's gonna be looking at an offensive coordinator job there, maybe. Aiden That's
3: O'Connell, young quarterback for the Vegas Raiders. Sure. New head coach with Antonio Pierce. What do you think of that, Dave?
4: Yeah, I hope Luke gets it. Uh I think he would do a great job. I really do.
2: You know, and, and you always learn from your previous uh jobs, and he now has experience, a couple of years as a play caller and in, in learning You know, what works, what doesn't. You could argue that the job he did in his first year was fantastic. It's just they didn't open the season strong in year two.
4: Yeah, absolutely. No, it. uh, Yeah, and and that's all part of it, learning uh, circumstances that you can't control. Uh, O'Connell, I know him from his days at Purdue pretty well from doing the Big Ten stuff, and he is the big drop. He's a good athlete, but he's a drop-back passer. So, uh, you know, a lot different, I think, than Justin Fields from a quarterback standpoint. So, I don't know what they're looking for. Obviously, they got Josh Jacobs. They're going to run the ball. So, it might be a good fit. Hopefully, it is for both sides.
3: You're still doing some homework on Caleb Williams. You said that. And I think that you're starting to talk to people who are part of the consensus that looks at him as the number one quarterback, the number one player in this draft. Obviously he didn't fare well against top 25 defenses. You see that all the time with numbers cited. We had an exchange earlier the week about how you put that into some context, Dave, when you look at Caleb Williams and how he struggled relative in relative terms against top 25 defenses, what did you find? What do you see?
4: Well, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause after I said it, I was thinking and, uh, I remember when I was doing the Fox college football and Jared Goff came out of Cal and I had seen Jared Goff play three or four times. And I kind of made the comment. I said, you know, against Utah and USC. And I, 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 I said, Jared Goff has a tough time against the best defenses having success. And so I, I guess I, you gotta be careful when you say that uh, about Caleb Williams and, in a couple of games this year against, uh, you know, top teams, as you mentioned. But um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think, just think that everything's going to happen faster and everything's going to be tighter, obviously, against the better teams in college. And it's even another level faster and bigger and stronger uh, and tighter coverage when you get to the NFL that would probably be the thing that uh, that comes to my mind when I see a player that might struggle against better teams as compared to not. You know, I, I, I'll give you another player, David Montgomery. Mm. When he came out of Iowa State, and it's a different position, but I'm trying to make a point here. David Montgomery played his best football against Texas, against Oklahoma, against teams like that. And so when the Bears drafted him, you know, Everybody was very comfortable saying, "Hey, this guy, uh, this guy's ready for the next step. He's going to come in and he's going to be a heck of a back in the NFL, which has proven that he is."
2: So, Dave, I'm curious. Um, I guess that they announced today that uh, the Eagles have fired uh, Brian Johnson. So, they fired Sean Desai, and they uh, they parted ways with. Uh, the guy they thought could help them there, the rocket scientist, and now they've parted ways with their offensive guys. So they're looking for two new coordinators, nothing new. Same thing happened last year, but this year it's for different reasons, right? Both their coordinators uh-huh. hired elsewhere, and now they fired both their coordinators. What, um, what does that tell you about the difficulty of replacing guys on the move?
4: Well, I believe I think there's 14 offensive coordinators' jobs open. This might be the fifth one. I don't I don't know if Philly was counted in that or not. Hmm. So you're talking about half the league basically, uh, is, is which is crazy. Um, you, you know what? Uh, I, two things. One, they go to the Super Bowl. Everybody's patting you on the back. Your coordinators get jobs. Uh, the head coach, I don't want to say, makes easy decisions by moving guys up that maybe weren't ready uh, or maybe it was the head coach. Maybe he got exposed a little bit. You know, maybe the owner thought that he could carry more of the load offense, defense, as these young coordinators move up. Uh, I don't know what the circumstances were, but change needed to happen at Philadelphia. I mean, they're, they've got too much talent just to say everything will be better. Everything is status quo. So, I get making the changes here. I really do. Uh, I understand that. Um, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully it, it, it improves them.
3: How surprised are you at the Lions winning the way they did? What chance do you give them going into San Francisco as an underdog? Because by the time they kick off, Dan Campbell's going to have that team believing anything is possible.
4: Any, anything. You know, what's kind of funny, they're playing outstanding. I mean, they were one of the. Bottom ten teams stopping the run a year ago, and now they're on the top ten stopping the run. So they they did a fantastic job. I said this on on our show there with you guys when the draft was over last year. I gave them the highest grade of anybody. I thought they had the best draft in the NFL. I think it's coming out. I I really love their personnel guy. We need to mention this. Their general manager had the guts when they drafted Gibbs out of Alabama. That was in the middle of the conversation, uh, running backs are being devalued. We're not going to pay running backs any money on their contracts. The running backs were going to get together and strike or whatever they were going to do. And this guy had the guts to stand up and say, I'm taking a running back in the first round. Well, look, I mean, it, it, it's it, the guy made a fantastic pick. Uh, but when I look at this team, the one thing that makes me a little nervous, and let me say this, I absolutely, Dan Campbell is my type of coach. Aaron Glenn is my type of coordinator. These guys are tough guys. These guys want to run the ball. They want to play defense. They, they you know, a lot of energy. So I love everything about him. That makes, that's the one thing that makes me a little bit nervous coming into this game. That Dan Campbell, that makes, that he doesn't get caught up in it and makes an emotional decision whether it be a fake special teams play or going forward on fourth down or whatever it might be. You know, I I just hope that doesn't happen in a game like this. Uh, And then the same thing, if you watch their defense, and I've studied these guys, Aaron Glenn, if you pop, if they're in their base 4-3 and you hit a run on them, you can almost book it. When you watch the game, the next play, he's bringing branch, he's bringing a safety fire, uh, he's bringing one of those linebackers. He's going to do something to put the fire out. And sometimes again, just like Dan Campbell, you can get caught up in the emotions. Damn it. They made 10 yards on us. I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden you get a bad play out of it because it's something that you don't do week in and weekend week out. And, and the guys, there's a mistake somewhere. So I, I, that's the only thing. And, and, You know, that's, uh, it can be a big thing. Hopefully, it's not. Uh, Because, you know, Kyle Shanahan, I think, is going to, that that staff there, they're going to be together. They're going to be calm. Uh, I I think they're going to handle the emotions a little bit better than Detroit. As long as they funnel those emotions the positive way, that's kind of been their battle cry all year. So I get that. I get that. I'm just talking about critical decisions in a big game. Don't, get caught up in the emotions. That's all I'm saying.
2: We were talking about the AFC championship game and how Mahomes looks like he's headed to the, to the hall of fame. I mean, I I don't know what more he's got to do to get there. Six straight uh, championship games, a couple super bowls. He's won some MVPs. He's a great player. And then you got, uh, you got a guy in Lamar Jackson, who's probably going to win his second MVP this year. Now, you know, success in the playoffs, how we measure quarterbacks, but you can make an argument, both these guys well on their way to the hall of fame. What happens in this matchup? The first one um, in Baltimore since what year 71 or something insane.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I was last week. I was on Kansas city. As much as I, a Bill's fan, I, I, I pick Kansas city. I bet on Kansas city to win that game. Uh, Mahomes is right. You're, you're, he's crazy. And you know, the best thing that's happened to Mahomes right now? His receivers are starting to catch the football better. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they're starting to make hands catches and pull it in. And, and as long as they do that, uh, you know, he's going to be tough to beat. But I'll tell you what. You know, we can talk what we want about Mahomes. I mean, obviously how great they are in all categories. The, the, how about their defense? I mean, I look at Baltimore's defense. Okay, they're, they're tied for first with interceptions. They're number one scoring defense. Uh, they're number one sacks. They're number one in points. They're second in red zone defense. I mean, Mike McDonald, that defensive coordinator down there at Baltimore, As Spaz, Spaz, the defense coordinator of Kansas City, both these teams are healthy for the most part. Mm -hmm. Sounds like Andrews will be back. So Buffalo was beat down. I mean, Buffalo was playing with 13 guys in there at the end. You know, I mean, they were fighting with a short stick, in my opinion, against Kansas City because of injuries, which is part of it. I get that. But both these teams are coming in here relatively healthy. So we're going to get the best of the best. It's going to be a heck of a game. I mean, uh, uh, but yeah, this Baltimore defense, Baltimore, I think, is the most complete team. I would take Baltimore in this game.
3: So, Dave, you talked about Dan Campbell maybe succumbing to emotion in a big playoff game, and I wonder what you thought of Sean McDermott calling for a fake punt in the -hmm. Chiefs game because I wonder, that seemed unorthodox, out of character, a little bit different than you would expect from a guy who defensive minded head coach somewhat conservative in nature, and yet there it was a fake punt that didn't work. what'd you think of it
4: wow yes uh i was i was i was shocked to' say <laughs> it i really was i mean uh in a game like that now I never did get a hear i mean was there ten guys on the field and even if there were Uh, You know, I I would have to really look at the tape, which I have not done yet. I'll be honest with you guys. I have not gone back and looked at that play. Now you got me thinking about it. I'm going to do it this afternoon. I'm going to pull that play up and watch it. Because they were talking about that there was 10 guys. Now, was it called from the sideline, or was it an automatic because they had 10 guys on the field? I don't know. But, boy, even if there were, you are uh, – yeah, that that could be the difference in in a game like that. But – uh, I was shocked. They answer your question? Yes, I was totally shocked.
0: I think we all were.
2: <laughs> like, what are you doing? Oh boy. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, Dave, I, I'm just curious. Um, when you think about the Bears' defensive coordinator position, you know, now we've got a a couple of names. Chris Harris interviewed. They're they're uh, going to do another interview. And I I look at that position when you have. Like, you know, when you are the play caller on defense, how important is that position? Is that, you know, obviously the offensive coordinator is going to run half the team. The defensive coordinator is someone that the coach has to work with and trust, but it's not as significant a hiring, or is it?
4: You know what, it's – I I would look – hard and close at the coaches on the staff. This is just my opinion. Let me tell you why things happen during the season in games that you like for your players and your coaches to be able to reference because it, 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 it happened last year in, this, in the Packer game. Remember this. It happened two years ago against the Steelers. Do you remember this? Uh, if if Flus, I mean, he hired these defensive guys, you know, Hoke or so. If he's got somebody on his staff that he that he's co- can communicate with, because Flus is going to make the calls, you know, I don't know why he wouldn't just move a guy up in the coordinators position, hire somebody to come in that's qualified. If you want to give him a title, make him co-coordinators, that's fine. But uh, there's nothing like familiarity in the heat of battle from a player's and a coach's standpoint. And well, I, I just remember when I was a coordinator and I remember when I was a head coach, being able to talk with my coaches and players. Guys, remember what we did through, you know last year against so-and-so. That's what we're going to do right now. Everybody got, well, I got it, coach. Yes, we got it as compared to you saying it and him looking at you and saying, okay, explain that to me. We don't have time for that. So I would look first. Unless Fluce feels that there's nobody qualified on his procuring staff, I would bring somebody up and add somebody to the mix, give guys titles, whatever you want. But familiarity, I think, is priceless. When you're going into a third year and you know it's a critical year for Fluce. Uh, be just I would just say be careful,
3: Dave. Since you are the Harbaugh whisperer, what's going on with Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> Second interview with the Chargers. Keep is he waiting for the offer to increase in Ann Arbor? Can it get much better than what he's got it there at Michigan? What's going to happen
4: next? No, I think it's all about. Uh, it's not about money. I don't think it's not about the contract. I think it's all about. Feeling that he's going to have the right opportunity to compete for a Super Bowl at the next level, Uh, you know. I do know that it it sounds like uh, the AD Ward at uh, Manuel Ward, the AD at Michigan. You know, he's already picked his head coach. The head the new guy knows what they're going to pay him. He's already told the new defense coordinator Minter that they're going to keep him and make him the highest paid coordinator. So they're moving forward internally. for the possibility that Jim leaves. So they're not sitting back like last year, I think, and waiting Jim out. I think they are taking steps forward. If he stays, fantastic. But if he doesn't, this is not going to be a long, drawn-out process. We are going to get done with what we got to do, people that we want, and get on the road recruiting.
2: Great stuff, Dave. Great catching up with you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Dave.
4: This. Stay warm down there.
2: Oh, yeah, get that. I, I Get those I'm streets salted.
4: <laughs> I am going to look at that fake punt. I am dying to watch God, that fake God, punt right God. now. All right. You're the See best. you, today,
2: Thanks, Coach. That is Dave wants, oh, It's 50 uh, degrees, you 50 know. 50 to 60. You can hear his teeth chattering. That's a living hell. It is. It's like torture. Yeah. yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Be careful out there, people. Today is a bad day, man. I mean, I'm looking out right now, and it's, you know. It's jam- bleak. Check the Ripper weather. <laughs> it's okay? it's, it's Blake. If you
3: want to. Be wary. If you want to do a horror movie in downtown Chicago, today's Today the day to is film it.
2: definitely the day, man. Yes. I'm scared now. Yeah, I don't Just know. looking what to outside. Make, uh, yeah. It's a skating rink. It was very, very slick. Yes. On the way down. I think com. I passed Connor Bedard. Yeah. He was skating yeah. on his own, though. He was on his own. was about by himself. Yeah. Had- you were driving a car. <laughs> yeah, so Yeah. He was on the sidewalk. Protect that jaw. Don't clench! Don't clench. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6 7 of the score.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. is your reward, Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy. The score. You should kind of fizzle that somehow. Like yeah. Like the that sad. That is the DePaul fight song it doesn't feel like much fight today right i mean and and honestly i i'm not going to sit here and tell you that that they made a mistake by being the first team to fire their head coach in a power conference this year because i can't tell you much about the program right now it hasn't been relevant in a while i can't tell you tony stubblefield got a bad deal after going Three and fifteen fizzle gone. Well, and that tells you a lot that we can't even talk about what happened with the Paul basketball.
3: Three and fifteen this year. And I think when you look at his overall record in three seasons and not able to finish the third, uh, twenty eight and fifty four, I believe, wasn't promising. There wasn't progress. And Dwayne Peavy, the athletic director, decided to move on. Now, the question becomes not necessarily why do you do this now. Interesting timing, but you don't want it to get much worse if it can. But there's two years left on his contract. Tony Stubblefield signed a five-year contract when he was hired. This is him not finishing year three. Mm -hmm. You're paying him for two more years to go away. You have a sizable commitment to your basketball program just based on that. You also have – a $60 million practice complex plan that you unveiled Mm -hmm. in August. You play at Wintrust Arena. I guess big picture-wise, if you step back, Molly, and you look at, all right, well, Big East member facility in Chicago that is, you know, Wintrust Arena is a first-class venue, and you've got an indoor practice facility that they're building for $60 million. It looks like a good job. It looks like an attractive option, and then there's the reality. You wonder You wonder how much the last 10 to 15 to 20 years, how much damage that has done to the reputation of DePaul basketball to make it not an attractive job.
2: Well, I, I, I think the problem, I mean, listen, how many people really want the job? <laughs> how many and i'm not trying to be mean about it i'm saying i'm sure there are people that look at it as a great stepping stone you get into the big east but that's the only that how what else are you selling i get it you know the new facilities come in if you're enthusiastic you can go out and get players they haven't really tapped into the chicago market as much as they should i know people who would want the job but you know the the role of this team it is like big east doorstop it's not like you're at the bottom of the league big east doormat doormat you're gonna lose by 20 points every night yes and then what be in last place in the big east oh but they've got money and they got nal and they can create the. where is it where's it been we have not seen DePaul basketball as Relevant in quite some very long
3: time. It's a very long time since they've been relevant. You go back to Dave Lato's first stint, perhaps at the end of that, he left for Virginia. Got him the Virginia job. He used this as a stepping stone. You know, you look at their affiliation with the Big East. I don't think it's a good fit. They haven't capitalized. It's a, it's maybe the wrong conference for this team at this time. And yet, the Big East probably looks at it. Well, we're in the Chicago market. This benefits us if everything goes according to plan. Nothing has. Nothing really has. So you're right. What do you look at in terms of how it will attract quality candidates? Will it attract quality candidates? You're not going to pay what Georgetown is paying. You know, Ed Cooley left Providence for Georgetown, right? You know why? Yes. Well, I think he's making like almost $4 million.
2: How much does Shaka Smart make? Because that guy was like a really – Uh, sharp up-and-coming coach and he winds up uh, going to Marquette and they got a really solid program. And if you want to be Marquette, how much are you paying him and are you willing to pay someone and are you going to pay the right guy?
3: Shaka Smart's done a nice job and Marquette has done a nice job of maintaining that tradition. They have upheld that tradition. He makes... It's estimated around three million dollars per season. It's pretty good. It's pretty good money in Milwaukee in that in the Big East, relative to relative to other programs. You look at DePaul. Are you going to pay three million dollars to your next coach? Are you after you're paying your last one two more years to go away? Now, if the answer is emphatically no, then you are going to get what you pay for, and you're not going to be able to compete with the Marquettes and with the George. Well, Georgetown struggled too, but they don't want to struggle anymore. So they're going to pay a guy to come and fix their program. Is it going to take something like that to get a, a, a hire that you're going to say, wow, I didn't expect that. Because frankly, in fairness, when they hired Tony Stubblefield,
2: there wasn't that reaction. No, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, how did they do that? Well, the, the idea of Tony Stubblefields, wow, this guy's a great recruiter. He's gonna bring in all these players because he's so good at recruiting. <laughs> That's honest to God, what I, know. What I thought was gonna happen. I like, know. wow, they're gonna get like big name guys in here, and then it's you know, you worry about the X's and O a little bit, but it, if you got well, the talent, you're gonna be able to play. Here's what's happened in Chicago,
3: and you're the right guy to talk to about this. It's just in twenty eighteen when Loyola went to the Final Four, mm-hmm. it was a changing of the guard, if you will. And I don't even know if it needed to be that kind of looking at in such provincial terms, but if there if there ever was a doubt that Loyola had the more relevant basketball program in this in the city in terms of a college basketball program in Chicago, that was that was a loud declaration that Loyola is a better option, destination, everything when it comes to basketball than DePaul.
2: Well, Loyola's the only team in the state of Illinois to have won an NCAA title, back in sixty
3: one years ago.
2: Yes, long time it's been ago. A while. Yeah, and you're still proud of that. That's good. I love the. They're the I, only I, team I, I, in the state I, of Illinois. I love when the proud alum comes a, out and makes a, an appearance. A title. That's good. Uh, Loyola's had some great years. It's been some rough years. You know, they're 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 a really solid team. They've got you know the athletic director, the coach. They're, Biggest reason but, for the turnaround, but, but you know, well, I mean, you know, Porter. Yes, it's so funny. I, I remember. Yes. I remember talking to Porter after the Final Four, and um, and he was saying he talked to Jay Wright in that summer, and Jay Wright told him, "Now that you've had success, you're going to want to reach for a different type of player. You want to you want to bring in." He, he said. You've got to remember your identity and how you've become good and how you've become this team and stay with it and understand that the program that you've built up and the culture you created and all that stuff has to remain. And I think one of the reasons when Porter went to uh, Oklahoma that they hired Drew Valentine is because they wanted to maintain what they had going. And they've been pretty consistent. They've been... They struggled last year in the Big East, but now they're coming when around. The Atlantic Big 10. Big game tonight. Atlantic 10. Oh, are they yeah. oh, Big, the Big East. I'm sorry. But, I'm but, stuck but, on the Big East. But the point East. is the that
3: they Ten. moved to the Atlantic 10 because of the relevance yes. they created for themselves. Right. And the reason they were able to do that is because the power of what Porter Moser brought to the program. It only takes one guy.
2: But It only what? takes one hire. When, when the Paul job was open after Porter had success, I, I talked to a – oh, no. That's not the guy. You don't want a guy like that. They were like they the, the DePaul people, they need a guy like they that. They didn't want I know. a guy like Porter because, what? because the, well, they, know what? Were they, they were more ambitious. They were going to win 1982. the 82. East. But it, it's just Oh my gosh. It, you know, it, that was, was annoying. If you really wanted to get better, that would have been an unbelievable hire. Yes. of a guy Home in run. Chicago. Exactly. And
3: you know that he would have been interested. You well, know that he would have considered that strongly.
2: Now he's doing well for himself I mean, I'm at Oklahoma. glad he didn't go to DePaul. Well, Don't get me wrong. Well, I'm just saying, the it, very it, idea that I, you dismissed him as I, I, too provincial a coach, and it's it just does I'm not make glad he didn't to go to Nepal. That would have been fantastic. Well, he wouldn't have had to move. Exactly. Yeah. I love Porter Moser and what I he did too. for basketball but around I, here. I, I think but, it would have been tough for Loyola. Girls. Okay, separate
3: that from the equation. No. Okay, no, but when you do <laughs> – You'll see. I mean, that's the kind of guy they want. That's the kind of guy they need. Mully, that's what I'm saying. Right, Is right. that when you talk about why this hasn't worked, they haven't found their Porter Moser. They haven't paid their guy to do that for them. Yeah. Tony Stubblefield wasn't it. Find a guy who is it. Find the it guy, whoever it may be. Make sure he's got experience. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure he knows how to recruit S- Chicago <laughs> and is a, is a name you're not going to have but, to Google but, when you hire As it.
2: I said to you, we were talking about different coaches, and I was like, well, you know, the the Bradley coach, Brian Wardle, has done a really good job in the Missouri Valley Conference with that program, and he's from Clarendon Hills. I think he went to Hinsdale Central. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's got an interesting background. Would you hire a guy like that? And then you're sitting there thinking about, would you want that job? Do you want to come in and try to rebuild the program from the bottom up? First of all, as as we're talking about with Porter, they're more ambitious. They want a better coach. But they're they're trying to win nationally instead of just win. Win locally, grow that, win nationally. And they, they're unwilling to do that because, as you say, they're trying to repeat Ray Meyer's success. They in the, need to have a the consistent
3: 80s. message. They need to have somebody – with a, a strong mission statement who understands how to build a program and to recruit Chicago. They've got some resources. Now they have to find the person who knows how to use them.
2: All right, we're going to talk to Mike Florio next. It's Mully and Han on the score.
1: Mike Florio, profootballtalk.com, NBC Sports, twitter.com slash profootballtalk. Day by day! Day, by day. We,
4: get better better. we get better and better! So we get BB.
1: NFL insider Mike Florio with Mully and Haw on 670 the Score.
2: Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the Score. Mike Florio joins us now on The Score Hotline, powered by IBEW Local Nine, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. Good morning, Michael. How are you? What's up, guys? How are you today? Doing well. We're doing great. We're looking around the league, and, you know, these games are going to be fun. But, my God, is there a ton of jobs open. And another one this morning with the Eagles. Not sure what to think about a team. Kind of ironic, I suppose, that they lose two coordinators after a Super Bowl run, and now they lose two coordinators because of uh, what happened after the Super Bowl run this year. Different reason.
0: Well, that's right, and they made two bad hires, and that's on Nick Sirianni, and I think that makes it harder to get great coordinators because there's going to be a sense that Sirianni's on the hot seat. Even though the Eagles have tried very hard to not create that impression, they felt no compulsion, for example, to issue a statement that Sirianni will be back next year, which implies there was consideration If such a statement is issued about moving on, and that's exactly what the Cowboys did, there's still going to be a sense that Sirianni's in trouble. If these two coordinators they hire don't work out, then new coach and new coordinators in 2025, amazing to think that Sirianni will be on the hot seat this year after three straight playoff appearances, but that's where we are. It was as ugly a fall as we've seen for a team that went to a Super Bowl, went 10-1, and and then completely lost its way and Sirianni was unable to coach the team back onto the right track.
3: Mike, you've been on this a little bit on profootballtalk.com, but if the 49ers lose this game to the Lions, could Brock Purdy conceivably lose his job as a starting quarterback?
0: On the surface, it sounds ridiculous, but I still can't get over the fact that ESPN.com had a long article last week about Brock Purdy written by Nick Wagner, who covers the 49ers for ESPN.com and down near the bottom was buried from Purdy, not unnamed sources or something that was made up. It was straight from Purdy. Purdy said that he was told by Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers in the 2023 off season. If you're healthy, you're the starter, unless we can get Tom Brady and we're going to try to get Tom Brady. I fell out of my chair when I saw that Michael David Smith, who is the managing editor of PFT, noticed it yesterday and sent it around all the writers and was like, what what the hell is this? Like, number one, how did we not know about it before last week? Number two, how did it get buried at the bottom of an article that otherwise said, all due respect, not much of anything? How is that not headline news? How is that not thrown into the ESPN ever-churning car wash of content (laughs) where they talk about it on this show, they talk about it on that show? They wanted Tom Brady, the team that Tom Brady grew up following, the team he wanted to play for in 2020, and they said no thank you. They went back to him last year, and they wanted to add him to the team and put Purdy on the bench even if he was healthy. So regardless of how we got here, what that tells us going forward is if Purdy has a three- or four-interception meltdown on Sunday against the Lions, how do you not wonder whether or not they look at not Brady, but Kirk Cousins, who's been linked to Kyle Shanahan for years or some other upgrade over Brock Purdy. I think it really says a lot about this possibility that Purdy's in a tenuous spot.
2: Wow. What do we make of last week's game chiefs at bills? And that was the best game of the weekend. And now you got a couple of guys with a trajectory toward the hall of fame, facing each other when Mahomes goes in to see Lamar Jackson, it just feels like like this thing is building a little bit and this could be really good or maybe it'll be a, a, a more pedestrian game. I don't know.
0: Well, you know, here's the bottom line. When, when we watch sports, we love to witness history. Michael Jordan, best example of it in my lifetime. We were witnessing history and we knew it. With Patrick Mahomes... We're witnessing history and i'm not sure that everyone has realized it yet but mm-hmm. this guy's 13 and three in the postseason he's been to six straight afc championship games during his time as a starter he has never not gotten to the afc championship and i think that the value of the experience you get to a point where you know everything slows down For you in that setting, because you're not freaked out by the circumstances. You've been there. You've done that. You've won some. You've lost some. And it's almost like Neo at the end of The Matrix when he finally realizes how he's in control of everything. Like Patrick Mahomes is Neo. And Lamar Jackson, for as great as he's been in the regular season, and this isn't a slap on Lamar Jackson, this is any quarterback who's never played in an AFC championship. This is your first. This is Mahomes' sixth. And You know, this year for the Chiefs, things are just like twisted around enough to make it fresh and new. Hey, we got to go on the road for the first time ever in the playoffs. We run on the road to Buffalo and we won. We'll go on the road to Baltimore and maybe we'll win. So I just think we all need to realize we're witnessing history with Mahomes. It's must-see TV when he's on. You need to see him in person. Remember when Jordan was in his heyday? I mean, people throughout the country got to see Michael Jordan play live at some point in my lifetime. You've got to feel that way about Patrick Mahomes. He's six years into his career as a starter. Who knows how many more he has? He's got at least six to ten more, I think. And who knows how many more AFC Championship games he's going to go to before he finally gets to a year where he doesn't.
3: Speaking of history, Bill Belichick has made a ton of it. He's interviewed twice with the Falcons. I wonder, though, Mike, is there a team out there, maybe the Bills, who might be surprising everybody by – looking at Belichick, considering what he might do there, or is this going to be something that is a foregone conclusion and he's going to end up in Atlanta?
0: Atlanta, he is not the front runner per se. There isn't a front runner. They're still very early in their process. There's a new rule this year preventing teams from having in-person interviews with coaching candidates under contract with other franchises until yesterday. That was when the window opened. But by way of example, the last time the Falcons hired a head coach three years ago, They hired Arthur Smith on the 15th of January. Here we are on the 23rd, and they're not close to getting it done. They've got a lot of people they're going to talk to. Now, Belichick could get that job. They would have to make some changes, I think, to the structure in the front office. For example, the coach and GM report to Rich McKay, the CEO. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to go for reporting to anyone but the owner of the team. However, something I wrote over the weekend during the playoff games, I'm told that there are other teams that are at least considering whether to pursue Bill Belichick and you know you've got to be comfortable with the implications of making it known that you're pursuing Bill Belichick before you do it what does that do to the expectations of the fan base do they receive it well do they react negatively does it undermine whoever you eventually hire as coach if it's not Bill Belichick but at least one of the teams has a vacancy and at least one of the teams thinking about pursuing Bill Belichick doesn't have a vacancy so I don't know who it is but But, you know, I've made this point over the past 24 hours as it relates to the Bills, guys. and, And I feel bad saying this because I don't like to speculate about Sean McDermott's job. But, you know, his job is to constantly look at his roster and decide, are these guys good enough? Are there better guys out there? Should I bench the starter and put the backup in? How is ownership not at least looking at who's available, who he's got, and asking the question, would it be an upgrade to have Bill Belichick? Yes. Would it be an upgrade to have Mike Vrabel? Jim Harbaugh, even Pete Carroll. You at least have to ask the question or your organization is on autopilot. Mike,
2: we'll let you go. Thank you for your time. Who do you have in the two games this weekend?
0: It's too early to make an official pick. However, I had Chiefs 49ers in the Super Bowl back before week one. So what I'm gonna struggle with this week, now that my two Super Bowl teams are on the brink of making it, do I just ride them the rest of the way? Or do I say, you know, I kind of like what Detroit's got going on, or I kind of like what the Ravens have going on. So I got two more days to think about it and come up with a decision on Thursday.
2: Good stuff. Great stuff, Mike. Take Thanks, care. guys. That is Mike Florio. That's fun. I like his
3: Buffalo theory, too, because I tell you what, Bill Belichick would not have run a fake
2: punt. No, he no. wouldn't have.
3: I mean, and that I don't no. know why that triggered me, but like that was yeah he cast doubt on the entire operation. Well when he was, called that.
2: It was slightly desperate. What are you at doing? It? Yeah, it was weird. I agree with you. There there have been some weird moments. All right, we're gonna bring in uh Brian Hamilton from the athletic and we're gonna talk about the Paul. Why do you fire the guy now? Who you hiring as a repla- re- replacement? How and I know they've got an interim, but I'm just wondering how ambitious are they? How good is the job? How good is the job? That's a great question. It's Mully and Holmes.
1: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New
2: iPhone 15s? It's over
1: here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.